as Jesus is in the wilderness, are also called into our own wilderness time to take the time to reflect on how we live God's call in our lives and how we fail to live God's call in our lives. That's the Reverend Nontumbi Naomi Tutu, and today she shares a powerful message of faith called The Call and Challenge of the Wilderness. I'm Dalton Rushing. It's day one. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's your host to introduce today's speaker. I'm your guest host, Dalton Rushing, and today on day one, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Nontumbi Naomi Tutu, an acclaimed speaker, activist, and Episcopal priest, currently serving as priest associate at All Saints Episcopal Church in Atlanta. Previously, she was associate rector of All Saints Church in Beverly Hills, California. Naomi is the third child of Archbishop Desmond and Nomaliso Leah Tutu, born in South Africa. She's a graduate of Berea College, where she began her public speaking career and earned a master's from the Patterson School of Diplomacy and International Economic Development at the University of Kentucky. She's been a human rights activist, development consultant in West Africa, and coordinator for programs on race and gender and gender-based violence in education at the African Gender Institute at the University of Cape Town. She's also taught at the University of Hartford, University of Connecticut, and Brevard College. Naomi, welcome to day one. Thank you. You're the third daughter of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, the Nobel Peace Prize recipient and Anglican church leader in South Africa. So I would imagine that's offered you a whole lot of opportunities and challenges in your life. First, give us a sense of what it was like to grow up as the daughter of a beloved religious leader known worldwide. (laughs) So the interesting thing is, you know, when we were growing up, my dad was not known Mm. worldwide. Um, So, I mean, by the time he won the Nobel Peace Prize, I was... I was finishing my master's ah. at the University of, of Kentucky. But um, but he was, growing up, he was a priest and mm. known in, in our community. And so there is that, there is the protection and the challenge of being the child of a priest. So everybody in the community knows you and people are looking out for you as, you know, you go around, mm. go about your work. But then that also means that everybody knows you and mm. when you are doing doing wrong, there are all manner of people to set you straight. Uh, But, you know, the recognition, I think, of who my father was, um, at least inside South Africa, if not globally, for me came about when I was an adult and was living in Hartford, Connecticut. Mm. And um, I was called by some people at the, uh, the television, one of the television stations there and said they had video of my father um, saving a man who was about to be killed mm. for being a, a sellout in, uh, in, in South Africa. And would I come and see the video and, and, and give comment? And I think that that was the point for me that I realized that, you know, for all I say, you know, daddy is just daddy, Mm. that there is, 
this person, Desmond Tutu, who is also daddy, mm. but who is a, a, a real power in the world because the fact that he decided to go and save this man's mm. life. Um, but also then the, the other part of it for me was that the people allowed him to save the man's life because mm. I mean it was a huge crowd sure. and they could have just beaten them both up mm. right but that 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 there was a, a level of respect for my father amongst these young people that they were willing to say okay we won't you take him go away mm. and that that for me and I was in my 20s so but that for me was I think the the clicking moment that yes he is daddy, but he is also this person who does amazing things in the world. Naomi, I understand that your mother was actually your greatest early influence. How did she influence your calling and passions in life? So my mother was very clear um, from the time we were young that there was one priest hmm. in the household <laughs> and that my that that was my father and it was a it was really an empowering thing because you know when people would say to her things about oh my gosh and your daughter a priest child mm. and my mom would always say as you said a priest child because she would say the same thing when they said about her you know mm. a priest's wife and she <laughs> would say yeah you said a priest's wife not a priest mm. there is one person in this family who decided to go to seminary to answer the call to the priesthood and that is Desmond mm. and you can judge him as to whether he is a good priest or not but there is no job description for priest's wife mm. or priest child and so that was a, a, a liberal thing for us as children to recognize that, um, you know, we were our own people, that mm. what we were going to do in the world was going to come out of who we were comfortable with, where we found the challenges and the opportunities in our lives, and that it was not determined because our father was a priest. Mm. Um, and, and, and so that was, that was the role that my mother played throughout our growing up was this reminder to us and to people outside that you are your own person, mm. that, um, you know, we are going to pour into you all that we can. But at the end of the day, you are going to have to make the decisions about what kind of person you are in the world. Mm. And your first name, Nontumbi, given to you by your grandmother, how have you lived into that name? <laughs> so Nontumbi means mother of girls. Mm. And when I was growing up, I thought that it meant that I would only have girl children, mm. which clearly is not right because my youngest is a son. So mm. that blew that theory <laughs> out. Um, but, it, but I think that it has been kind of the underlying thing for me around the work that I've done around race and gender, mm. gender-based violence in education, my continuing work around women's retreats has been this, this um, passion about gender equity and about women claiming space mm. in the world and in the church, uh, maybe particularly, but um, claiming the space that that is our God-given right sure. to have the gifts, that our gifts should be acknowledged um, and 
be given space mm. in whether it's in schools, in universities, in churches, that in our communities that to pay attention to the barriers that are there for young women that don't exist for young men mm. and to be part of dismantling those barriers and and empowering our, our young women. Mm. Well, along those lines, you spent a number of years as a development consultant, public speaker, educator, and race and gender advocate. Can you give us a summary of the sort of things that you were up to around the world? <laughs> I know. I When I started um, seminary, one of our professors asked us to talk about what would, what would be a song that you would use to describe your path to seminary. Sure. And mine was the long and winding road. <laughs> because I really have done a long and winding road. Uh, I, I started off as an economist and worked on projects in um, Guinea, Conakry, Ghana, mm. um, uh, some in Nigeria, um, and and loved the opportunity to be working on on, on the African continent um, because as you know as a South African the there was not free movement onto mm. the continent as part of the sanctions, which we supported. But that 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 opportunity that I was given to spend time in West Africa was a was was really a blessing for me in 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 being connected to the rest of the African continent. Um, and then I I worked as an, an anthropologist looking into the the intersection of of um, intimate violence and political violence in in Southern Africa, and was really struck in, at the ways in which um, women and girls were the focus of much, both I mean clearly of intimate violence, but also of much um, political violence, mm. particularly in rural communities, and and so that really geared up my my passion for working on on gender justice and mm. um, particularly around violence against women and then ended up as a university professor loved the teaching hated grading papers mm. and realized that if I was going to be doing this for any foreseeable time I was going to be grading papers there was no way I was going to get out of mm. grading papers and then decided that I was going to look into ways of combining my passions around racial justice and gender justice and at that time was approached by the head of the Fisk Race Relations Institute mm. to come and do a presentation at Fisk and then turned into a job as program coordinator at at that historic Race Relations Institute mm. which is what brought us to Tennessee and then did public speaking on the side, was doing the racial and gender work at the Race Relations Institute. Um, and then when the institute shut down, decided I wanted to try and go out on my own and and do the work. Mm. Um, and so was doing women's retreats and leading women's groups and through all of this, you know, there were times when this call to the ministry would pop up and mm. I would stomp it down as fast as I possibly could. But eventually it, it refused to be bashed. <laughs> 
Well, I understand that when you were young, you said that the one thing you would never be is a priest, and here you are. Right. So how did that calling ultimately (laughs) unfold for you? How did you come to accept it? I came to accept it through the the wonderful um, gifts that I was given by spiritual directors in mm. my life, um, Rose Bader particularly and uh, Janet Wolf. Those would be the two that I would say walked with me as I fought this call. Um, and, um, you know, in the sermon, I talk about being dramatic. And initially, as we were talking about um, this call, they would ask me, so what would it take for you to recognize that you might have a call? Mm. And I said, well, God is going to need to give me a Damascus experience. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not going to believe it. That's how dramatic I am. Mm. And I didn't get a Damascus experience, clearly. Um, but those two walked with me and um and and finally said to me you know you keep running and you have never faced what it is that you are running from so mm. it might just be a figment of your imagination at the very least stop running mm. and and face and and listen and hear what it is and and so i went to divinity school um at vanderbilt knowing as i stepped in that i was coming to find out what a call into ministry would look like that was not a call to ordained ministry mm-hmm. and um and in that process discovered that truly my my place of feeling right or feeling as though I were doing what I was called to was in the pulpit and behind the altar. Hmm. You're currently serving as priest associate at All Saints Episcopal Church in Atlanta. What's your role there? So it's a it's a beautiful arrangement for me, and I hope it's a beautiful arrangement for the people of All Saints. Mm. Um, Simon Mannering, the the rector, and I basically mapped out something that has me preaching maybe once or twice a month, mm. um, presiding over services maybe once or twice a month, um, involved in adult formation, doing some Christian ed classes, Sunday school classes. I've been really fortunate to have worked with the intergenerational women's group last Mm. year around their Advent service, and I'm doing the same this year. So it is an opportunity for me to kind of plug in and in spaces that call to my spirit. And that is, you know, the best of both worlds, I have to say. So I, I have, you know, done some pastoral work, but about by people who have approached me Mm. individually to say, would you be my priest? Would you be my pastor around these particular issues? Mm. Which is a a, a truly, uh, it's a compliment. Mm. It, it really is a compliment when people ask you to walk with them in the difficult spaces or the wonderful spaces of their lives. And so I have a, a job that has no proper description, Mm. but have had the opportunity to be a part of this community um, in ways that really have fed my soul. And and, and sometimes I feel guilty because Mm. I'm like, 
am I am I doing anything for the parish? Because mm. I am having a wonderful time being able to preach and preside and and be with God's people in many different ways. Well, Naomi, this Sunday the church enters the season of Lent. And your sermon for this first Sunday of Lent focuses on the gospel reading from Mark chapter 1. Would you read it for us? Sure. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is certainly a passage with a lot to reflect on. I wonder what stood out for you here as you prepared your sermon. So what stood out, um, as I always say in the sermon, that this was my least favorite gospel Hmm. of Jesus' baptism and time in the wilderness, um, because it it seemed to me that it skimmed everything. Hmm. Um, It didn't give us the wonderful drama of John saying to Jesus, I am not worthy. You come to me to Hmm. be baptized. You know, that and Jesus saying, you know what you have to do. Um, It doesn't have have you know, Satan taking Jesus up to show him all the corners of the world or telling him to turn the rocks into bread. None of that drama is present in, in, in this gospel. And so what stands out for me as I prepare to preach is the quietness mm. of this gospel, that there is a, a, a level of of intimacy in this gospel that calls us into a space of quiet and reflection. That there, because there isn't the drama, you know, that there isn't this throw yourself from the rocks and the angels will will capture you, but that there is this quietness which to me then highlights this idea of the 40 days in the wilderness, mm. that that quietness that that Jesus um, had, that, that I truly believe he needed to prepare himself for his ministry in the world and therefore is an invitation I hear for us to take these 40 days as a time of quiet, Mm -hmm. a time of reflection, a time of thinking about what God is calling us to, what is the ministry that we are being called to, and also to be focusing on the places of our own temptation. Well, Naomi, we look forward to hearing your message on this passage. The sermon's called The Call and Challenge of the Wilderness. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you. If you'd like to listen again to today's program with Naomi Tutu with an extended interview, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app to Day One Weekly Program, or you can stream or download it on our website at dayone.org. And if you'd like a free printed sermon transcript, just call us at 404-815-9110.
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I was a very dramatic child growing up, and in fact, I, I think I am still probably a very dramatic person. And so when this Mark reading was our reading for the beginning of Lent, I was always disappointed because there is no drama in this reading. In our other Gospels, we have Jesus arguing with John before he is baptized, we have Jesus actually being tempted by Satan, and we hear what those temptations are, and so there is drama in that. And here in Mark, no drama whatsoever. Jesus comes, he is baptized, he goes into the wilderness, he is tempted, but we don't know what those temptations are. But then he was with the wild beasts. And the angels waited on him. And I came to realize that maybe the drama was missing from this reading, but this reading offered us something else. It offered us an intimacy, an intimate view of Jesus and John, that John recognizing that he needed to baptize Jesus. We have the intimacy of the voice that says, you are my son, the beloved. And then we have Jesus in the wilderness. And while we do not hear what he was tempted by Satan with, we do know that he was tempted. And during this temptation, God had him with the wild beasts, giving us a foretaste, giving Jesus a foretaste of God's kingdom on earth when the lamb will lie down with the lion, when all of creation will join together in worshiping and loving our God. And the angels waited on him. The intimacy of the angels waiting on Jesus. And we are called into that intimacy. We are called to be part of that experience of a wilderness time. We are called to heed with Jesus the call by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. And Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, recalling for him and for us the 40 years of the children of Israel in the wilderness, who were tempted like he was, but unlike him, actually succumbed to those temptations, that they built idols, that they complained about God, that they got angry and afraid and wondered why they had been called away from Egypt to suffer in the wilderness. But they also came to experience who God
God was, a God who loved them, a God who called them back time and time again, a God who fed them, a God who made water to flow from a rock for them, a God who continued in his promise for a promised land for them even as they were tempted and turned away from God. And so we, as Jesus is in the wilderness, are also called into our own wilderness time. We are called by the Spirit to take the time to reflect on who we are, whose we are, how we live God's call in our lives, and how we fail to live God's call in our lives. So whenever this gospel has been the one that opens Lent for us, I have taken it as an invitation by God not to think about what I should give up for Lent, but rather to think about how I can use Lent as my wilderness experience as a time to reflect, as a time to pay attention to the ways of temptation in my life, to listen to God's call on my life in my ministry. And so I invite you to take this gospel too as an invitation into the wilderness. For me, that invitation into the wilderness is about looking into my soul, looking into those places where I am tempted to forget that I am a child of God. Those places where I am tempted to trust in my own power. Those times and places where I am tempted by the world, by wealth, by power, by fame. To not be God's beloved child. I invite you to think of the ways and places that you are tempted. Tempted by Satan to ignore God's love in your heart, God's call on your life. And to recognize that God stands ready in those places of temptation to be with you. That when we are not strong enough to withstand temptation, God says, I am here. Turn to me, cry to me, pray to me, and I will give you the strength, the humility you need to face temptation. I like to think of wilderness time as fallow time. From the time when our societies were agricultural and we would leave a field after it had been harvested for a year or so to recover and leave it fallow so that it could rest. It could receive the blessing of rain and of God's nature. And I like to think of us 
as fields that sometimes need that fallow time, that wilderness time. After my father died, I came back to the U.S. and realized that as much as I had stood out and stood up saying, I don't want to be recognized as simply the daughter of Desmond Tutu, that in fact, much of my life and even much of my ministry was identified by being the daughter of Desmond Tutu. And when for the first time somebody introduced me as daughter of the late Desmond Tutu, my heart skipped a beat and I realized that something felt off kilter for me. And I decided that I needed wilderness fallow time to regroup, to reassess, to recognize the new me, to recognize that this was a new chapter in my life, the daughter of the late Desmond Tutu. And I believe that each year Lent gives us that opportunity, the opportunity to regroup, to pay attention to the places of hurt, to the places of confusion, to the places that we need to heal so that we can go out and do God's ministry in the world. Jesus knew that before he could be fully the Messiah, fully the one he was called to be in the world, before he could go out and call disciples, before he could go out and do miracles, before he could feed thousands, before he could heal the sick, that he needed to go into the wilderness to be able to sit quietly with himself, with God, even with Satan, to stand up to the challenges that he knew he would face, to spend time with the wild beasts so that he would recognize that his ministry was for all of creation to spend time in silence, being waited on by God's angels so that he could receive all the power and love that he would need to free us from our sins. And so when we step into our wilderness time, we are being called into a time both of rest, but also of reflection. A time to give thanks for God's love and also to pay attention to the places that we fall short of God's love. 
that when we spend these 40 days seeing ourselves in the wilderness, we are being called by God who says to each of us, you are my child, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And may we take those words of God and use them as the guide for our lives as we come out of the wilderness. Amen. Mother, Father, God, we give you thanks for wilderness. We give you thanks for the opportunity to be with you silently in our hearts, recognizing your love for us and recognizing even where we have failed you. Bless us in this time of Lent that we might take this opportunity to be your beloved children. Amen. You've been listening to the Reverend Nontumbi Naomi Tutu, an acclaimed speaker, international activist, and Episcopal priest currently serving at All Saints Episcopal Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For a free transcript of her sermon for the first Sunday in Lent, The Call and Challenge of the Wilderness, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Keep in mind that Day 1 depends on the financial offerings of our faithful listeners. At this important time in our ministry, we're grateful for your generous donation. Please send your gift to Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305 or donate online at dayone.org, and thank you. And remember to listen again to today's program, read the sermon transcript, search the sermon archives, and much more. Visit us online anytime at dayone.org. I'm Dalton Rushing. Next week on Day One, we're pleased to have with us the Reverend Dr. Christopher Thomas, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Church of Wilson, North Carolina. His message for the second Sunday in Lent is titled, Expectations. Be sure to join us next time on Day One. Now our day one preacher, Nontumbi Naomi Tutu, offers some final reflections on her sermon today called The Call and Challenge of the Wilderness. And Naomi, you said growing up you were always disappointed when the first Sunday of Lent rolled around with this text from Mark 1 because there was no drama in it. But over time you came to recognize that though this is a brief account, it's also a very intimate account of Jesus' baptism and wilderness sojourn. The matter-of-fact language is meant to give us space to reflect, to imagine this young man's journey from the river to the desert. Would you say more about the power of the spiritual discipline of reflecting on Scripture texts like these? Yes. Oh, well. So let me start with myself that, as, as you said, I would be disappointed because I love drama. But then when drama is missing, there is something that is more draws us 
closer to the scripture that mm-hmm. makes us pay more attention to just small words, small phrases, you know, that like in this, that he was with the wild beasts. What what does that mean? Mm. How do we see this? And for me, when you hear he was with the wild beasts, immediately what comes to mind is that the lion will lie down with the lamb and all of God's creation will be at peace with one another. Mm. And that those 40 days not having the description of what happened in those 40 days gives us the space, I think, and calls us to the discipline of of thinking of ourselves in those 40 days. Mm-hmm. That what would we do with 40 days in the wilderness? What would we become in that space of quiet, of hunger, mm-hmm. of temptation? And so it is an intimate invitation. This scripture to me is an intimate invitation to reflect on who God calls us to be mm. and how God appears in our lives. You said as well that during Lent, we're encouraged to seek out wilderness experiences, to ask what are the places, things, and attitudes in our lives that draw us away from the gospel. And you take this text as a sign that your Lent should be not focused on giving something up so much as paying attention to where and how you stop believing in the promises of God's kingdom and your need for God's love and healing. Can you give us some guidance on how we might experience Lent by paying attention in this way as well? Mm. Well, let me talk about my own discipline. Maybe that will help. Mm-hmm. That in these seasons of Lent, when I am reflecting on on these spaces, I make sure I carve out quiet spaces for myself in the day. Mm-hmm. And I know that that is not easy for everybody. But even if it is just five minutes as we are caught up in the hustle bustle of this of this life is to find just those five minutes to breathe into listening to the places where we are living out our our core, but also to listen to the places in our hearts where we recognize that there is something missing. There is something that we are not living into. And it is often easiest to carve out those times first thing in the morning or last thing at night when everybody is asleep. And even if you're falling asleep as you do it, but just to have a, a space of starting with maybe this gospel reading hmm. throughout Lent, just or a favorite prayer or poem hmm. that allows you to go inward, inside of yourself, to pay attention. And I, I want to emphasize that it is paying attention not only to the places where we are failing, but also to the places where we are growing in our ministry. Naomi, I want to ask you a big question. I wonder if you'd give us a bigger picture of faith, one that might come out of our own reflections in the wilderness, given that it seems as though our world is burning in so many ways. What would a response of faith look like in these troubling times, or what should we be up to as followers of Jesus? That is a big question, mm-hmm. and, and thank you for, for asking it. I believe that the first thing that we need to be doing as followers of Christ is to pray. Mm. To pray that we 
pay attention to where there is suffering in our world and to go beyond the easy answers. Mm. There is so much temptation to say, I know what needs to be done, mm. whether it is about the homeless here in Atlanta or about the war that is happening in the Holy Land, that, you know, this idea that we know what is right for the world. Mm. And I think that the first teaching of Jesus is the humility of of recognizing that we need to hear mm. from others the stories, their concerns, their ideas, their perspectives, and that we as people of faith need to recognize how much we need each other Mm. in our faith journey. So the big faith picture for me is the recognition that all of this world, all of creation is God's. Mm. And therefore, we have a responsibility to all of this world. We are connected. We are related. We are family with all of God's creation. And and if we start from that place, then we cannot um, ignore climate change. We mm. cannot ignore the pain um, that our our Christian um, institutions sometimes cause to our family members who are members of the LGBTQI plus community. We cannot ignore the ways in which our church has been silent in the struggle against hunger and homelessness. Mm. So The big picture faith is this is God's creation and we are a part of it. And God has given us a special gift and responsibility to be those who care for all of creation. Naomi, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? I hope that, that people will open themselves to a wilderness experience this Mm. Lent, that they will open themselves to those quiet places that are places of rejuvenation and refresh, Mm. but are also places of reflection and um, repentance. That is what I would hope. Naomi Tutu, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Day One is the voice of America's historic Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever. Forever.